This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about our expectations for Chris Weidman as he returns to middleweight this weekend. We'll be joined by Laura Senko, fresh off episode one of the new season of the Contender Series. The Black Beast stops by Derek Lewis to preview his upcoming main event this weekend against Alexi Olenek. And we dig into the TLTS midweek mailbag. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about that mailbag. Show at gmail.com. Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome to the Wednesday show. Happy to be here. You know, it's interesting because Cobb really missed most of the show yesterday because he got hit by uh, a giant storm and uh, he's having to thug it traveling all around the state of New Jersey to get a little bit of power and juice in his computer. I think he's capable of joining us. Cobb, how are you? Good, sir. I am doing well, sir. Uh, Still no power at my house, but other than that, doing fine. What are they telling you about power restoration? They originally told us it was going to be restored by about 8, 9 a.m. this morning and nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to upgrade it. It'll probably be up tomorrow. You know, it's so unlike these power companies to not tell you the truth about when your power is going to be restored. How unusual. I know they're pulling a cable company thing like, well, it might be restored between 8 a.m. today or a week from now. We don't know. Sometime in that time frame now. Yeah, sometime between now and when you die, we'll get your power back on. It's like, okay. Well, I guess that narrows it down. Well, glad to hear you got some juice. Load up everything that you can. By the way, did you have to sleep with no AC last night? Yeah, I slept in my basement last night because it was the only cool place in the house. Yeah, that's, about, that's the move is when the AC breaks you if you have a basement. That's the only place where you won't just completely lose your mind uh, with the, uh, the heat. So, all right. I was hoping you were suffering more and had a sad tale of sweating through your sheets like you had malaria, but I guess not. <laughs> no, not so much. And uh, Marissa was actually nice enough to let me come to her house today for the show. So uh, I am basking in air conditioning right now. It feels great. Are you at her new place? I'm at her new place. Yeah. How is it? Is it nice? Very nice. Very nice. She's also sitting right across from me. So I have to say that no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it could be full of roaches. You'd be like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> but it is very nice. A nice little, uh, a nice little house for uh, our boss here at SiriusXM. All right. Well, you know what? Good to hear it. And glad you're back with us here today. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get this party started if we can. I have to tell you, there is a storyline. Um, actually, I don't know if that's the right way to describe it. Well, I'll say this. There is something happening on Saturday that is just remarkable to me. If you asked what the main and actually the worm turned a little bit today wednesday but if you had asked anybody what you were expecting for this coming weekend's fights whether it was ufc or bellator you would get basically you know well there's going to be chandler versus henderson two friday night that's pretty cool i guess and you know, Derek Lewis is back against Alexi Olenek in heavyweight, and that's not nothing. I guess the train rolls on for UFC over at Apex Facility. Contender Series was last night, as I mentioned, right? So those are the things you would have mentioned. What I did not see mentioned, honestly, right up about until today. Today is when, the, again, the worm started to turn a little bit on this. Was the return of Chris Weidman. It is shocking. There is virtually nothing being said about it. I am both somewhat surprised by that, and also I would, to be quite honest with you, heartened, a little bit heartened by that. Chris Weidman is back this weekend on Saturday in the co-main event 
of UFC Vegas, what is it, five or six this weekend? Whatever number it is, six? Can't, I can't even keep track anymore. The one with Lewis and Olenek as your main event. He is fighting Omari Akhmedov. And there is next to no discussion about it. So let me tell you why I had two different feelings. One was surprise, and then the other was almost being heartened by it. Surprise because, yes, he has been on a really bad losing streak. He did have the the respite in between the, the losing streaks with the win over Kelvin Gastelum, but the general performance trend since the loss to Rockhold has been pretty clear. Again, turn things around against Gastelum, but that was really about it. And not just that, he was competitive with Jacare in this fight, but he got viciously knocked out. Then he goes up to 205. It's like, you know what? I'm going to reinvent everything, going to get it done. And he gets viciously KO'd there as well. And, and not just that, but quickly. So what he decided was he's going to go back down to um, middleweight and he's going to give it a run one more time. And if you look at the current rankings, let me pull them up here if I can to see where everything stands at middleweight currently today. Let's see. You've got Chris Weidman. I don't even think he's in the top 15, is he? I don't think he is. You've got Whitaker at one, uh, Costa two, Cannoneer three, Hermanson four, you went, uh, Romero five, Till six, Brunson seven, Gastelum eight, Hall nine, Shabazian ten, his opponent, Omari Akhmedov, sitting at 11, Tavares 12, Heinish 13, Vittori 14, uh, Shoeface sitting at 15. If you go up a, a, a weight class and try to see where he is there, he is nowhere to be found. He actually does not have a number next to his name. When was the last time Chris Weidman fought and did not have a number next to his name? I honestly couldn't tell you. Maybe the Mark Munoz fight, the, the Jesse Bongfeld fight, something like that. I mean, it's been quite a while. And here we are. Here we are. It took this long. I mean, I'm surprised, but then when you begin to add up the facts together, you're like, well, I guess sort of it makes sense, but it takes you a second. It took me a second to register exactly what was happening. Like, why is no one talking about this? But there you go. He has finally lost enough and bad enough that he has essentially, even though he's moved across two divisions, rendered himself, insofar as the rankings are concerned, invisible. Now, I also said, though, I was heartened by it. Here's what I mean. To me, this is all good news. Weidman has tried to do so. Listen, we got into this yesterday in conversations about squash matches, and a lot of fans don't like them. I like them. I don't like the deceitful use of them, but the slow building of a young talent, I generally prefer. Giving fighters coming back from injury tune-up fights, I prefer. And then a situation like this where somebody who was a champion and essentially has only won once since they were get, trying to get right, get that W. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Now, Akhmedov is hardly a squash match, hardly a tune-up fight, but here's the difference. He is sitting outside the top 10. Weidman is finally fighting somebody who isn't a top-of-the-food-chain contender. Or somebody who at least, you know, at some point in their life had occupied that space. He is finally dialing it back. 
I never understood the move to 205. I get it that it helps you reinvent yourself, but I never thought that the weight cut per se was his issue. He is on the bigger side of 205, but not quite like Luke Rockhold. So it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's like, that's the thing that will fix what's going on. I'm heartened because one, the calibration, I think makes sense. And two, the fact that nobody is talking about it, to me, I'm hoping reduces the pressure on this guy. Reduces the spotlight in a way where he can just focus on his craft. Where we can stop talking about title shots and best in the world and all these things that are going to happen for yourself. Why don't you just get the W? Focus on that. Do what you have to do in the cage that day in a three-round fight against a guy who Chris Weidman, at his best that we know of him, easily would beat this guy. Now, he's a little bit longer, had a tooth, had a number of injuries. It's not exactly the same. So I'm glad there's not this pomp and circumstance about it and all these phony narratives about reinvention. We'll put, the, we'll put those narratives on when the results come in, if you beat this guy. Now, let me explain something to you. Uh, fighting Akhmedov is no guarantee of success for Weidman. It does not mean he is going to win. What it means, though, is you're going to stop doing the insane thing of always fighting people who have some kind of name or status or whatever, trying to live up to a certain expectation that the reality simply cannot meet, at least not right now. You got to get right. You got to get right. And this is, to me, the first step in that direction. But he's done enough damage to his stock to now no longer be ranked in either division he's ever competed in. Granted, the one was just the loss to um, Reyes, so there'd be no good reason to rank him there, but I'm just simply saying where he's competed, he's no longer been ranked. It took this long for people to finally begin to just sort of tune out, but I think that might be exactly what he needs. It's not a uh, sufficient condition to turn things around for him, but it is a necessary one. It is the, it, 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 you, uh, this is no guarantee of success, but you keep doing the things that got him into this mess and you will guarantee continued failure. This is, this is the first step, if he can take it, towards doing the right thing, getting back on the path. And I am actually heartened to see that there's not all of this ridiculous media narrative around it this time. It's just about almost, almost in anonymity about what that Saturday means against just this guy, just getting a win, getting things back to where they're supposed to be, stopping the bleeding, and then worry about building from there. This is just about, you've been lost on the car ride. This is just about looking at the map, wait, pulling over first, looking at the map, figuring out where you went wrong, then getting back in the car, and then heading in the right direction. And you still got a long way to go before you can get home, but at least you're not making the same mistakes anymore. That's what this is about. And to do it without the media constantly hounding this guy and being up in his face and asking him questions and asking him to say things about his career, how, how well it's going and all this stuff and how, who he still can be and just forget all that. Forget all that nonsense. Focus on the task at hand. I'll be very curious to get your sense of Chris Weidman here. To me, 
as I said before, I don't think putting him in a three-round fight against Omari Akhmedov, a guy he would have housed you know, at his, in his prime, at his very best, is a guarantee that he will get some success on Saturday. But I know that doing the opposite is a guarantee of failure. Putting him in there with a big-name, top-ranked guy, even if Weidman still has a bit of a big name, would be a disaster for him. So this is no guarantee, but it's at least giving him the opportunity to turn things around. So with that opportunity, Cobb, what do you think he will do? I think it will be a win for him. I just kind of wish he took a fight like this a lot sooner than he did. Um, I mean, the fight with uh, Jacare was a war of attrition, which he was in. He was in the fight, and then he just ended up losing on it. It just That happens sometimes. I didn't even mind the move up to 205, but just not against Dominic Reyes as your first fight at 205. It just didn't make any sense. So him taking a little bit of a step down in competition – I think is the right move. It's just one of those things I wish he would have done earlier. I think he gets the win, but you never know, man. This game is cruel. I think he gets the win, too. Even in some of these losses, like the Romero loss, he was winning that fight right up until he didn't. The Musasi fight had a bit of a weird stoppage. Now, he got viciously KO'd in the Jacare fight, but to your point, he was performing well. And then the Reyes fight, I just didn't understand the move to 205. So, you know, I'm not. it's not like you can not count it. I mean, he signed up for it and got smoked, but... Okay, it's not, I don't know that that's the best representation necessarily of what he'll be able to do in this fight at middleweight, given all these considerations. Here is my sense of what uh, uh, to, to expect. There is just a phenomenal amount of uncertainty about Chris Weidman, right? Because you're like, okay, well, it's one thing to lose to really good, talented fighters. And Okmanov is no scrub, but I mean like, you know, top of the food chain types. But the problem, what ends up happening is if you get enough of those, if too many of them happen, you just begin to wonder, well, geez, I mean, who can he beat? What level is he really at? This is a better examination of that. This is at least something that's going to tell us that is much more indicative of the truth. And I'll tell you, if you lose to Akhmedov, well, now you've got some real problems. The one thing that makes this fight kind of interesting for Weidman is that Akhmedov, his last five wins were Ian Heinish. Uh, Zach Cummings, Tim Boach, he had a draw with Vittori and then a win uh, a while ago over Razak El Hassan. What makes this uh, interesting, this guy, is he's hard to finish. Fights tend, even when he wins, fights tend to go long. They tend to be decisions. They tend to go the full frame uh, because he's kind of hard to hurt. He's kind of hard to do things against. He's talented, but he doesn't have a lot of aces, uh, you know, tricks up his sleeve, aces in the hole, so to speak. So the reason why I bring that up is if Weidman not only wins, but then dominates this guy and, and this is a big if, somehow finds his way to a finish, that would tell you a lot. It would tell you a lot. It would tell you that he can do things that talented, but maybe somewhere in that 10 to 15 range of middleweights can't really do. It it would tell you he is still a viable top 10 talent. Now, if he wins and it's ugly, I still think you should give the guy a bit of a mulligan just to get right. I mean, he's been changing weight classes and fighting people he should not have been fighting. You know, the process of rebuilding doesn't happen over one fight. Sometimes it can take a long time. It doesn't have to take a long time, but if it does, you can't dock a guy for it. So here's my point. You can go in there and show the things. Do what Brunson did, right? You show things 
that you used to do, you brought them back, and you build on it a little bit en route to a clear, decisive, uh, in his particular case, finish. I don't think he has to get a finish to prove he's back, but he's got to get a dominating win. Show us the things he used to be good at. Great submissions, great wrist rides, great leg rides, great takedowns, strong top control, quick shots, quick level changes, you know, striking when he needed it. He was creative. Get back to that a little bit. And you got to build that piece by piece, brick by brick, but it can be done. And if he gets a finish on top of that, that would be huge for him. Formula One racing on Sirius XM. Precision, performance, and speed. The F1 Series opens Sunday. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. Pre-race coverage starts at 8 a.m. Eastern. Then go live to the track at 9 Eastern for turn-by-turn racing action. Followed by a complete post-race recap. Hear it on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211. Or at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. A new season of Dana Weiss Contender Series is off and running. And the Luke Thomas Show knew exactly who to turn to for a weekly recap. It's the one and only Laura Sanko. Former fighter and roving MMA reporter Laura Sanko is ready to break down all the action from the show. Your segment names are fire. If I'm going to do this on a regular basis, Luke, I need a segment name. She asked for it. She got it. Here to recap all of Tuesday night's fights. This is About Last Night with Laura Sanko. Episode one of the new season of the Contender Series aired last night, exclusive, I believe, to ESPN Plus. And here to help us break it all down was what do you want to say? Uh, Post fight interviewer, ring announcer, <laughs> reporter. She does a, bu- a bunch of different stuff on that show, and uh, now she's helping us out. It's the one and only Laura Senko. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hey, Luke, how are you? Thank you for having me again. Yes, of course. We are happy to have you. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, in terms of, uh, before we get to the results, was there anything different about this season? Okay, the COVID protocol, but more than that, are there little tweaks to the format that maybe the, uh, the viewer at home doesn't appreciate, but that you can, given being there and having seen this show grow from uh, where it began to where it is now? I think the biggest tweaks to the show behind the scenes are they really do have to do with the protocols that they put in place. So obviously my interviews look a little bit different. Um, to kind of keep things, you know, fresh and exciting because we were, and we were kind of talking about this in the production meeting at this point, you know, if you're tuning in to ESPN on a Tuesday, I think, you know, you know, you generally know what you're in for. And so this whole idea of like, talking about what the show is all about like we can kind of get past that now and and focus a little bit more on on the fights themselves but um the biggest (laughs) trickiest thing for me uh which (laughs) i don't know listen before your jumper your listeners jump over me i am 100 percent supportive of wearing masks in general uh in this instant when i have to walk from my interview spot to go announce the winner and carry my mask in front of my face because I have my makeup done, carry a different microphone, carry my paperwork. We can talk about the giant F-ups that I had last night. Uh, but anyway, it, 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 it definitely some things were different, and it was a little trickier, to be honest. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny. In the NBA, they don't, not only if you're a reporter interviewing like LeBron or Zion, you have to stand six feet away. They don't even show the reporter's face anymore, and they have to question them with the mask. It makes it all kind of weird. I have no idea what the right yeah. answer is, but I know it's hard for everyone involved to figure that out. 
Yeah, I like I like how they do the interviews in general, um, the where they have the fighter stand in front of a step and repeat. And I'm in the same room as them, so at least I can hear them and kind of sense their energy. And I have a little uh, monitor right below my camera so I can see their face if I look down just a little bit. Um, so I think that setup is pretty good. And listen, the protocols in general, I'm sure you guys have talked about this ad nauseum, but it's the same thing for the Contender Series. I mean, every single person in that building has to have three separate wristbands, and if you're missing even one of them, you, you just don't get in and you don't get to be a part of the show. Um, so the, the quarantine, the temp, te- temp checks, the, the testing beforehand, um, I do feel like they're, they're making all the best efforts to make it as safe as possible. There certainly it seems that way, and I think the safety record to this point speaks to it. So let's talk about the fights themselves. I'm going to start with the guy that I thought was the most impressive, and help me with the pronunciation here. It is Yorosh Medish. I think it's how you say his name. Uh, he, he, Urosh, yeah, Urosh Medish, yeah. Urosh Medic, he he appears to be yep. the real deal. A Serbian immigrant out of Alaska, talked about not seeing his family for three years. He has been hunkered down, trying to get better. Now his fight was not the longest fight, but I don't know, Laura. He had a certain swag and attitude and vision. He appeared to be a very crisp and accurate striker. When Dana reacted to this guy in the way that he did, it mirrored mine exactly. What was your assessment of his performance? It was good, uh, and I think he rated a a, a, um, a a contract, but it wasn't the longest. So how do you navigate that space between dominance but quickness? You know, I think sometimes you can just kind of sense, right? Like, I think that, um, you know, he's fighting a guy who took, in Mikey Gonzalez, who took that fight on very short notice. So uh, not necessarily facing uh, the perfect level of competition to give us a crystal clear idea of his skill set. But past that, I think sometimes when you see a, a guy fight, um, you take a look at his record. He has not only is he undefeated, but he's got a hundred percent finish rate, which is extremely impressive, regardless of who you're fighting. I don't care how crappy the competition is; it is hard to finish six people in a row. Uh, and then on top of that, like you said, he has he's got that star factor, right? When you talk to him, and man, I got I'm not gonna lie, like I am super impressed. He came to the United States in 2015, and his English is impeccable. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, some people, man, they just buckle down and they learn the English, and uh, his accent is very slight. You know, I don't judge people who have a little bit of a greater one. Somehow Schwarzenegger's been here sure. 40 years, and he can't even say the state he governed properly. But uh, but your <laughs> Udo Schmedish is, is, uh, is, is quite the talent. So I was happy to see him get the nod. Um, the other one who I thought was interesting, I, I'll be honest, I could have taken it or, or, or left it. To me, it, it, it was not so clear that he was UFC ready, but I, I, you know, I'm not going to hate on it was Jordan Levitt. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, I think you and I felt the same way. I, I, I like to disagree with you sometimes, so it's a more interesting conversation, but I'm on the same page, it seems like. Um, I thought uh, you know, I thought he had a really nice performance. He's got very, very tricky jujitsu. I mean, you can tell that he really knows his way around on the ground, and he's the type of guy that I don't think has worked. I know he had a high school wrestling background, but minimal. And I don't think he's necessarily focused on that because he's so confident in his scrambles and his ability to be effective off of his back, that he's like, okay, no matter how we end up on the ground, that's my home and that's where I want to be anyway, so I'm not too worried about it. I have no idea what his striking skills are like because every single one of his fights that you can find online, he barely gets a chance to throw a punch. These guys are rushing at him, thinking they can knock him out. Inevitably, they get tangled up, and uh, he tends to sub him up. So 
Um, I, I'm with you. I don't know that I have the sense that he's going to like go in and tear up the lightweight division, but I think he'd be an interesting division. I think he'll get, give some guys some problems. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a Ryan Hall where he's, he's definitely, I mean, he's no bones about the fact that he's a specialist. So I don't know that can make for some interesting matchups. I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and it's all, one thing that I, it does seem like Contender Series is they've been doing this, but it seems like they're leaning into it now in a heavy way, which is all the stories of these guys, like their hard scrabble backgrounds. I noted this, uh, I think, on Twitter when the first ads for the season came out, Laura, which was I remember back in, you know, 04 and 05, it's like, Chuck Liddell has an accounting degree and Rich Franklin is a math teacher. And now because they were trying to send an image that these guys are not all just mindless barbarians. And now that MMA is much more mainstream, dude, the story about fighters is not always. But as you know, Laura, it is commonly about how tough it is for them to get to the point that they're at. I'm glad we're able to tell these stories now. Yeah, and I think it's about I think it's about life in general, really. I mean, that's kind of a broad generalization, but it, it, I get so much more excited watching the fight when I know even a little bit about someone's life outside the octagon, what they've been through to get there, what their struggles are, what their family is like. Um, and that's it's part of why I love this show so much because they do do a really good job of trying to dive into their background and, and reveal their motivations for being there because I can, you know, as someone who's done it, I, I can tell you that I think all of us come into the octagon for different reasons, but they're usually pretty interesting reasons. Not a lot of people choose to get in fist fights with other human beings. <laughs> Fair enough. Laura Senko joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. That leaves us with one more contract that was handed out, and I agreed with it, although he wavered a little bit. Dustin Jacoby. So this was a weird one, Laura, because he came out and looked ridiculously good. I mean, he was tearing up Ty Flores, treating him like it was target practice. And then he kind of gassed. Where were you on whether or not that was a good call by Danny to give him the, the, the nod essentially. I think it's a good call. You know, I think while the contender series is about, you know, looking for the next biggest star, it's also about finding just in general really solid UFC talent. And he certainly fits that bill. I mean, I think those first two rounds showed you what he's capable of. And I think he was trying to go out there and do what, what Dana wants everyone on this show to do, right? Which is go out there and fight your ass off and do everything you can to finish the fight. And to be honest with you, I think it probably could have been stopped in the second round there. I'm not saying it was like a, uh, a referee error, but I, I, I think maybe it should have been stopped uh, in the second round there. So had he gotten the finish, it would have been a little bit more clear cut. Um, I just, yeah, obviously he just gassed himself a little bit going for the finish, but man, those, the clinch work, the way that he was picking him apart when he had him, you know, trapped up against the cage, he's going to fit right into that light heavyweight division. And I think he'll do, I think he'll do a lot of good there to be honest with you. It and he looked like you know, great too. I was impressed by that. You know what? It's amazing. If you look at his glory record, it was seven and eight. His best win is probably over Wayne Barrett. I covered some of his fights as a gl uh, glory, like a uh, ringside reporter. Um, he lost against the better guys in glory, which is to be expected. He got into it late and blah, blah, blah. But I think all that experience did him a world of good. He looked to be really talented. It's just that when you gas on the contender series, it's just, it, it makes it, it makes it a little bit dicey. Let me ask you one more question. There was one more fight, and I don't know if you saw this. 
there was a bit of online debate. It was between, I think, Rodriguez and I forget the other kid's name. Um, they had basically what you would consider to be fight of the night. And I thought a lot of folks online were saying, oh, well, they should have got the winner of that one should have gotten the nod. First of all, I didn't agree with the decisions at all. He had two 30-27s. It made no sense. Second of all, I got to tell you, except for that triangle that he was trying to lock up from the back, I didn't see anything in there that was like, I mean, they're clearly talented, but I didn't see like, wow, UFC special, UFC ready. It was competitive. That doesn't mean it's the highest level. Yeah, it was a very competitive fight. Um, I could have seen them. I actually thought, um, and I apologize, I'm literally walking onto a plane right now, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but um, <laughs> I thought the, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but the fighter that was uh, from Mexico, I thought, I thought he looked really good in terms of delivering power. He had a little bit of trouble closing the range on him, but um, I actually really liked how he looked, and I agree that I was surprised by that decision. Um, obviously, <laughs> I read the scores out <laughs> upside down as well. We can talk about that. They were <laughs> and how that happened. That was kind of a mess. A lot of people, I think, because I did that, were questioning whether I read the scorecard correctly at all. And so when when I go up there, hold on a second. I'm literally lifting my suitcase right now. Oh my god! It's all good. We we appreciate your hustle, <laughs> Laura Sanko. This is this is live live radio. Okay, so um, when I go up there, when I leave my interview area, I walk over to the commission, and she shows me the scorecard. But because I'm this is not my full time job, and I have told you time and time again, I freaking hate doing that part. Um, she reads it to me. She says, "So and so won by unanimous decision," and here were the here were the scores, and she read them to me backwards. <laughs> And because huh. I'm thinking about 50 different things at once, um, I, I just wrote them down and she read them to me. And I walked up there and as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm reading these upside down. So that didn't help the situation either. But I agree that there's no way that that fight should be scored 30-27 on two scorecards. It's very strange. Did you get killed online for reading it that way? Of course I did. Of course I did. <laughs> and I just want to tell people, like, this is not – can I tell you a funny story? <laughs> sure. After that happened, Dana texted me, and it must have been like a copy and paste of a tweet that he read or something that someone sent him, because it was like, man, who's that lady reading the scores backwards? That's my biggest pet peeve. It's like reading the score of a football game backwards. And he just like sent a laughing face afterwards, I'm sure, to try to make me feel better. And I, and I wrote back, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. It won't happen again. I was just... I was so focused on not dropping the microphone and holding my mask up and not tripping and all these other things I'm trying to think about that I just read them as exactly how she read them to me. And then he got up out of his chair and walked back to my interview spot and just fist bumped me. And he's like, don't worry about it. He said 20 seasons of the ultimate fighter. When I was reading the scorecards out every single time I would go to read them out. I would second guess myself and be like, Oh man, am I saying the right thing here? So he was, he was super nice about it, but yeah, I got, I got hammered for sure. 
people have no idea how hard each individual job is to do because they think it's just reading numbers, but it's not. It's being precise on time with specifics in ways that gives you zero margin for error. No matter what you do in life, that is hard to do. And then we have to do that and also interview them and God knows what else they make you do. It is, it is virtually impossible to get that all right. So we understand. We'll let you go here. We know you're on the plane. We appreciate your hustle. Last thing, where we, t- we started the show talking about Chris Weidman, quietly back at middleweight, quietly in a fight, unranked for the first time in a long time. What are your expectations for him in the Omari Akhmedov fight for this Saturday? I think that that makes him a very dangerous guy. I think Chris Weidman, we know what Chris Weidman is capable of doing when he's in the right weight class, when he's focused, and when he's in the right headspace. And I, I really do expect him to come out there and, and, and look like his old self again. I don't know. I don't know what, what caused, I mean, the, the sort of downfall, so to speak, but um, I don't know. I, I have high expectations. I think that's a good matchup for him. I think that he's going to be able to uh, use his boxing and, and piece him up a little bit. Well, we are uh, certainly curious to see. Uh, Laura, great job on episode one. Looking forward to episode two. Safe travels and uh, stay COVID free. (laughs) Hanging in there, working on it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk later. All right, there she goes. Laura Senko. Tough job she's got. Thankless to you jerks on the internet. That's what I know. The experts of MLB Network Radio. When you get fooled by a pitch, you think, okay, let me wait longer. Steve Phillips. And then what ends up happening is you wait too long for the foot striding forward, hitting the ground, the hands going back. You then rush to get to everything, and the only way to get there is to pull off the ball to try to get your hands through, and the outer third of the plate is lost to you. Baseball talk at the next level. MLB Network Radio, Sirius 209, XM 89, and on the Sirius XM app. All right, let's get to him now. He is the uh, headliner for Saturday's fight against Alexi Olenek, the black beast himself, Houston's finest. It is Derek Lewis. Hi, Derek. How are you? I'm doing terrible. How about yourself? <laughs> Why so terrible, Derek? You laugh at me. Wow, just testing you. Then you laugh at me that I'm doing bad. Oh, no. Anyway, no, I'm not yeah, laughing. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good, Derek. It's good to talk to you, man. I'm glad to hear from you. Um, let, let me. Uh, I, I was actually perusing your social media for a second, and I saw a couple of things that I found kind of interesting. Number one, you're doing this thing where you'll post some jackass uh, <laughs> getting, you know, b- lighting a car on fire and then burning their face off or something, and then you always post that they're okay. You're even selling T-shirts that say he's okay. Where did this come from? Um, Just from people asking, like, they want to know the backstory. Because I use it whenever I post videos, I just just leave it blank, the caption blank. And so I just started just saying, yeah, they are right. They're okay. A lot of people ask so, in the comments. Well, I got to tell you, you posted a video the other day where there was this big old fat dude with a cl- literally a clown wig on. He looked like Takashi 69 if he can live another 40 years. And he get he gets hit by a truck and goes flying. I don't think he was okay, Derek. <laughs> no, I believe he was okay. He put a thumbs up when he was on the ground. He was okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you have, if you have not seen it, it's really funny. And if you want, you can go buy T-shirts that say he's okay. Uh, the other thing that I noticed, Derek, was 
I guess you guys had some flooding recently. I don't know. I don't know the extent of it, but you were you were unable to make it to the gym because I guess some of the roads were closed. So you were hitting and tr- uh, pads and training with one of your coaches in your garage. And in that garage, Derek, I noticed I could not quite tell what it was, but you appear to have a very fancy white uh, sports car. What is that? Um, McLaren Seven Twenty. Wow. How what is it like driving a McLaren seven twenty? Um like the fastest thing on the road right now. How did you end up picking that one? Um, I just wanted the, um something unique, something different from everything that's on the road. So one hand and got it. Are you like Tim Sylvia where you're like you'll drive that to like Kroger? You know? You're out there picking up like a gallon of milk and fruity pebbles, you'll just drive in the McLaren. <laughs> Yeah, I actually did a, a basket load of, of groceries in that um, McLaren. It holds pretty much a lot. Is the McLaren the one where the doors open vertically? Yes. Wow. Did you have to get fitted for it? <laughs> nah, I tried it out. I told them I'd buy it if I could fit in it. And so they let me test drive it, and I told them I'd buy it. Yeah, it looked like, by the way, uh, I couldn't quite tell if this was true. Are you living in basically a new house? Your garage looked super nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm in a new house. I just built it um, a year ago or two years ago. Did you, When you built it, do you were like, okay, you know, I got to make sure the kids have what they need and, you know, the family's got this. Did you put anything in the house for you is there like not not necessarily a man cave but i don't know something something for derek to be just his own um i built a sauna in a steam room i got a sauna in the steam room built in it's a, a seven bedroom home and so i one of the bedrooms i split it sauna half and the other steam room well and you I know what good for you man cave. you you uh dude you're doing really well was it like one of those feelings like wow man like I've really done something with my life. I got a McLaren in the garage. I got a steam room in the house. I am doing all right. Yeah, for sure. It's, everything is like family. I really just do all this for my family and just make sure I stay focused for them because they really depended on me. And we have a lot of haters out there, and especially inside our own family. My, fam- my side of the family and my wife's side of the family, they really don't want to see us do good, so... I really got to keep pushing for my kids' future. Why don't they want to see you do good? If they're family, you would imagine that they would be cheerleading your success, right? Yeah, you would think that, but, you know, we I feel like that they feel like that um, I came from where they came from, and they don't understand why they not making it as good in life like I am, even though I had a big old a, a setback um, a few years ago going through a situation and I ended up still coming out of that thing on top. Well, it's pretty easy to explain to them. It's because you can knock people the fuck out on national television that you would think you could just understand that, right? Yeah, but it's, it's kind of hard um, to let your mom know that. Yeah, I suppose. Derek Lewis joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. Uh, Derek. All right. You got this guy, Alexi Olenek. You know, he's a weird one, right? He's got a weird, he's got a weird haircut and he's got weird submissions. He's older than me, which is f- old. I don't know. Like what do you exp- I mean is it, is it is it you don't really change the game plan too much fight to fight, do you? 
Um, no, I just focus on myself. As long as my gas tank is good, then I think I'll be okay. But um, he is a, a tricky guy. So what the game plan going in with him is just I can't really let him try to grapple with me or get on the ground and stuff like that. I got to be cautious with everything. Can't be really relaxed and be patient and stuff like that. And I, if he touch me, like try to hold me or anything, I got to be prepared for any kind of crazy submission that I haven't seen before. Now, do you have a... Uh, fair enough. Do you have a... Uh, uh, most of your, I think if not all, but certainly most of your walkouts feature some kind of Houston uh, hip-hop artist. Will that trend continue for Saturday? Yeah, so I'm coming out to um, Fat Pat. Top Fat Pat. Wow, I've not heard that name in a long time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you going to tell us the name of the song? Um, tops drop. Why'd you pick that one? Oh, uh, it's just something that get me in the mood, you know. Um, you'll hear whenever I walk out. It's just a, a good song, one of the classics. It's a classic of Houston. Uh, so uh, here's how old I am. I'm I'm in I'm I'm 41. Okay, so I'm old. So when I first got introduced to Houston hip hop. It was, you know, uh, Paul Wall, the Swisher House guys, uh, Chop, DJ uh, Screw, you know, uh, but what's his face, uh, Slim Thug, that whole thing. Who is the number one guy out of Houston currently? Um, I guess you say right now is Trey the Troop. I, Trey I got Slim Thug right now, and I guess Slim also is Travis Scott. But you know, I like the underground street music. Yeah, Travis Scott, I've tried. It's not really for me. So give me a Trader True yeah. song that you think is uh, the, the one I should go listen to when this interview's over. Um, I guess you can listen to the um, SUC, the Screwed Up Click. Um, uh, any one of them songs. You know, I really don't right. listen to the albums. So it's just a bunch of mixtapes. Okay. Now, we also have to ask about your back, Derek. Uh, it seems like it's okay. seems like it's something you've managed. I suspect that's partly why you maybe put the sauna in your house as well. Can you give us an update on how your back is doing? Oh, my back is doing pretty good. You know, um, I believe that it was the weight and with my knee being messed up at so long like it was, I believe in that I was um, laboring my knee a lot, and so it was like, affecting my back and my ability to move. Did the PI figure that out? Who figured that out? No, whenever I did my knee surgery a year ago, um, they figured it out. I mm. went to the therapy and they, they told me that what I needed to do. Now, I know you are a Houston Dynamo fan, but I have to ask you, Derek, are you a Houston Astros fan? Yeah, some Houston Astros fans as well. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Derek, because I live in Washington, D.C., so not only did the Nationals beat the Astros in the last World Series, as I'm sure you're aware, in Houston, by the way, which was a nice touch, but more than that, yeah, well, they I turned we out... to win that. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I thought you were too, but... <laughs> uh, here's the bigger issue. Turned out there's some cheaters. Huge, huge cheaters and and unapologetic tell me they, they cannot really be true representatives of houston can they 
<laughs> this been going on for years. People been stealing signs for years. It's nothing new. It just got caught. That's all. Mm, it's a little more than that. Been it before too. You know what? They listen. If they got caught cheating, I would not be surprised. But now you know this. Everywhere Houston goes, people are just throwing balls right at them, and it's causing all these fights and all these problems. Yeah, we we knew it was going to be like that this season. It's going to be fun, you know. It's interesting um, to watch. It's going to be fun to watch because um, <laughs> the ratings of the baseball have been down. So this is just going to be fun to watch. Yeah, watch nine. Right, watch nine innings of baseball and a couple of fistfights along the way. Who was against that? Um, all right, well, if you want to see Houston's finest in a fistfight himself, he will be in one Saturday at the Apex facility uh, in the main event against Alexi Olenek. Uh, glad to see you back, Derek. Glad to hear you're doing well. Congratulations on all the things that have gone right in your life and hoping for more along the way. Thank you for your time. Uh, appreciate you. Thanks for having me. There he is. Houston's finest, D. Lewis. Uh, okay, Luke Thomas Show. Don't go anywhere. Make sure you check out Rick Hamler and Antonio Daniels on Give and Go. That's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. We have entered the Twilight Zone 43 <laughs> minutes into the show. I'm a little bit of a rebel here. Stand up, sit down, and put your arms out. Huh. I love you, and I so appreciate your call, but come on, bro. Give and Go, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, weekdays on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Sirius 207, XM 86. Mel time. Mel time. News here. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. All right, let's get to it now. So without further ado, let's now get to the first installation of the TLTS Midweek Mailbag. Mail, motherfucker. All right, Luke, this comes from Jared, who says, uh, hey, Luke, everyone's been talking about how big Gaethje's takedown defense will be against Habib. My question is, how much of a factor do you think his wrestling offense could play? Could you see him taking Habib down and trying to tire him out to open up a stand-up? No. No, he's going to do something for the first time that he never does. He's literally never done. No, no chance. I mean, I'm not confident in saying no chance on many things. I'll say it on this one. I would that to me would be the most shocking, epic waste of time. You're going to waste your time trying to wrestle this guy versus just trying to slug his brains out. Really? I find that very hard to believe. Super hard. He might do it like, um, push him back against the fence to land a big shot or fake a takedown to get the shot or, um, you know, partially wrestle him just in a way to get him to turn and get away or, you know, react in some kind of way that opens up his strikes. Yeah. Maybe that, that at most, but like trying to take him down and hold him down, you know, only if he's rocked or something, if you, you know, is hugely rocked. Okay. So I won't say there's no use for it but very, very, very situational dependent and, and certainly quite limited. Next. Answer my question! 
All right, this is an interesting interesting one. This one comes from Keith, who says, Hey, Luke, after Jorge fought Camaro, a lot of people were posting memes about all the foot stomps Camaro was using, and a lot of people said it's a, it's a dirty, cheap move. Uh, Darren Till had his knee injured from a front kick to the knee. Now, I am not a fan of foot stomps, but I think those kicks stomps to the front of the knee is such a cheap, dirty move. Is it, is it a cheap move? Or because it is legal, is it does that make it not cheap? I would love to see those two moves made illegal. Do you think it's this is dirty acceptable, and do you think it will ever be banned? Um, you know this this argument comes up time to time uh, about about um, that that the oblique kick essentially, where you sort of stomp out the guy's um, knee from the side. Uh, and that, and, and by the way, it, I don't think it's like dumbasses who make this point. You know, it's like a, it's a real preference thing. But um, so, for example, who have I seen? I saw Brad Riddell. It says he doesn't like him. You know, he's a very credentialed striker. He doesn't like him, and I don't think his reasons for it are you know flimsy. I just don't think the argument for banning them is especially strong. Um, you know. Uh, the argument is that they're designed to not necessarily hurt, just tear uh, into your joint integrity. Well, first of all, if they did it as as commonly as people thought they did, um, you know, maybe there'd be a bit of a different argument, right? But I mean, like, what happens? You know, uh, well, let me let me back up a step here. People often compare them to knee bars, which is not exactly right. I mean, yes, things can get shredded with a knee bar. Bad things can happen, right? But the idea is that you have an opportunity to tap right away and that someone leans into it, which means it's sort of like a calibrated effect versus a stomp, which is not really calibrated. It's just designed to deliver maximum force at once, and there's no pain that's really associated with it in terms of the application. You might feel some pain afterwards, but the, the argument might be that there is damage done. Okay, so I don't think that the knee bar comparison is as accurate as people make it out to be. Um, but here's my argument. Okay, it doesn't hurt as much, and it causes joint damage, uh, so therefore it is different than all these other ones. Why would that be something you would want to ban? Like, people make this argument like, oh, it doesn't have some of the things that the knee bar has, which is a calibrated approach. Not always, but, you know, commonly. And that there's pain associated in that calibration versus just, you know, shredding someone's knee. Well, let me ask you a question. What is wrong with shredding someone's knee? You have to tell me what that argument is. And maybe there is one. I'm not here to suggest that there's no argument for it. But people want that to be the argument. They want the argument to be, well, it just shreds someone's knee and doesn't do these other things that the knee bar does. And why is that grounds for dismissal? Because to me, that makes it seem highly effective. I mean, the argument that you would want to make is we want to ban techniques that are um, dangerous in a way where, um, like, for example, like, why would you ban eye gouging, right? You're going to take away someone's vision in a fight, like, permanently, you know, by attacking the eyes. I mean, it, it can happen that your vision can get impacted. Like, look at Michael Bisping's eye. But that's sort of accumulative, um, and you know you can't directly do that. If you were like gouging out people's eyeballs, that is too much damage, I think, that people would be comfortable with, and I don't think that's something you can sell to the public, right? So that's why you might not do that. Why would you ban hair pulling? Well, uh, again, 
these are somewhat subjective, all of them, but I think the argument there is that's not an especially sophisticated attack. Um, one, you can do real damage to it. Uh, two, uh, to someone's head, you know, just ripping their hair out like that. I don't think it's very palatable. It seems very street-like. It doesn't, there's no application of technique when you do that. Same with like small joint manipulation, why you can't attack someone's fingers. It's the same kind of way. You're just going to go in and break people's fingers. It seems like, I mean, it seems like those are the tricks that the mob might do. Right, who you know, is something untrained. But I got to be honest with you, kicking to the leg. I don't think it takes a genius to do it, but it's certainly no. It's nothing that I would worry about from a random dude in a. <coughs> pardon me, in a street fight. So the fact that it has less of these other things, I think, does set it somewhat apart. But I just don't know what the argument is supposed to be for its dismissal. There, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it. I have a hard time accepting the argument that I can deliver to you routine brain damage, but because you can't really see it, um, that's just an acceptable cost of doing business. But on occasion, because it does not happen all the time, it happens quite frequently or quite infrequently, I would say, relative to its use, that uh, knee integrity damage should be challenged. Um, from this one particular shot that is especially relative to the other leg kicks good at delivering it. I don't think it's as successful as people make it out to be. I think the reasons why they want to separate it are real, but by themselves, not arguments. Uh, I, I think it's highly effective. And I think you begin to question what forms of violence are acceptable and which ones aren't. If it takes a trained technique to do it um, and it is not especially violent to one's particular, you know, senses so hearing smelling uh seeing you know you're not, if you're rupturing everyone's eardrum with a punch you'd probably have to get rid of that punch um but you know we tear people's knees up for all kinds of reasons so that to me just doesn't seem like an especially strong argument but that's me your mileage may vary next message all right this comes from anthony who says hey luke i just finished watching the wire i know i'm over a decade late but in your opinion, what should I watch next that is similar to The Wire? Mm. Not many things similar to The Wire. Um, Cobb, what would you say? Is Breaking Bad similar to The Wire? Not really. I not would, really. You know I think might be it's kind of close, but not really. Though I mean, there's very few things that are The Wire, but or close to. But uh, maybe yeah. Narcos. Narcos might be good. Narcos is good. Yeah, I gotta tell you. And you know what's so funny about Narcos was. Pablo Escobar is, you know, does not feature through all of the seasons. And I'm obviously eventually, I mean, this is not like spoiler, but he does get killed. Uh, and then you see there's this real rise in prominence of the Cali cartel. I will tell you that for my money, I thought those seasons were better. I thought, I thought the season with the Cali cartel, which I think was the third season, I thought it was better. Uh, so, and, and, Narcos Mexico season one, I did not think was all that great. Narcos Mexico season two, I thought was really great. So it, both of them kind of pick up as they go along. Um, yeah, interesting. There you go. Next. Let's do one more of these and we'll call it a day on the mailbag. Mail, motherfucker. All right. This comes from Tristan. Covered this a little bit yesterday, but get, interesting to get your take. Uh, Tristan says, hey, Luke, uh, what do you think is the right way to groom a talented young prospect? 
With Shabazi losing this past Saturday against Brunson, do you think it's possible that he may have pushed himself too quickly? He's only 22 sure. years old, so after this fight, do you think he should take on fighters that are ranked under him to gain more experience and build himself back up? We've seen this happen with several fighters, Dustin Poirier after he lost to McGregor, Max Holloway, and even Vicente Luque, who lost to Leon Edwards, and Stephen Thompson has won eight of the last nine fights. So what do you think is the right way to do it, Luke? Yeah, I think you, I think it's dial it back. Let's get him a guy that's going to grind on him. Well, that sounds a little weird. You know, not like a, some kind of gay club. I don't mean that necessarily, but what I mean is get him a guy who is talented but not super advanced, let's say, in the division. But, you know, can drag fights deep if they need to, hard to put away, you know, can make him fight in ways where he has to, you know, the other guy is good at resisting what you're doing and can somewhat define the terms of the fight in their in their direction. So he just needs more time in the cage. He needs to work on his cardio. He needs to know what it's like if you can't get your, um, you know, he's very much a rhythm fighter and like get, gets guys to exchange with them. And that's when he really opens up. But if they're reserved in the way that Brunson was or they're constantly forcing resets in the way that he was, he just can't get going. So he needs to fight in ways where he can learn to make that happen, like Volkanovski does. Volkanovski creates opening, uh, openings against guys who are the hardest to create openings on. Right? That's what he needs. And that comes with time. It takes time. Dial it back. Even if you gave them somebody was not, not even ranked, I think that would be okay. Give him somebody where he has to define the terms on a resisting opponent who knows how to resist, who doesn't just fights in ways that he likes to fight, which is what happened in those big three wins that he had. I appreciate all the questions. As always, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com is the place to be on that. Don't forget about that mailbag. LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.